Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a joy to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, it is great to be with you all today and um, to end the mystery of Pastor Mike. Uh, I am a real person, uh, and uh, I know you've been hearing about a, a mysterious Mike uh, for the last couple months. Um, that is me, uh, and so it's really great to be with you all today. Uh, wanted to, to just say thanks before we get into God's Word. Thank you for the warm welcome we've received um, in the two days that we've been here uh, we've really gotten to experience the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ that, that uh, transcends uh, boundaries and borders and oceans and nationalities, um, and uh, it's just wonderful to be a part of that, and I think your church is a beautiful picture of that for us. Uh, and so we're just excited to be here to get to worship with you all today. Um, so far, uh, we've only gotten to spend time with the elders and the search committee, but we know that that is an extension of you all as a church body. And so on behalf of my family, Thank you uh, for welcoming, welcoming us so warmly, uh, and it's great to be here. So um, we've been trying to get to know you all as best we can over the last six months by watching on Zoom, and, and um, we've been enjoying Preston's sermons, and uh, <laughs> it's true. My mom's been enjoying Preston's sermons as well, uh, and so, um, but you, there's no substitute for being together in person, and so uh, it's just, it, we're glad to be here, glad to get to know you all a little bit better uh, while we're here this week, and especially this afternoon, so we hope uh, that, that you all will come and uh, spend some time with us this afternoon. Um, regarding Trevor's announcement about membership wherever Trevor went. Um, I don't know what to say if there's a rush for people to join uh, after my visit this week. That could be good or bad uh, for me. I don't know. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, I'm glad about that. So um, I would like to uh, go to our passage for today. And we're going to be looking at Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to start by reading, uh, starting with the second half of that passage. We're going to start at verse 5. Uh, and so I'll read that for us now. In uh, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. That's what we say. I'm in a conformist tradition, unlike Trevor. So uh, we have our little things that we like to do uh, when we read scripture. So uh, last night when we, uh, I got to have dinner with the search committee, our family had dinner with the search committee, and Mastona asked me uh, last night how I picked this passage um, as the one to preach on. Uh, out of all the passages of scripture, uh, all of the verses in there, all the, all the same. My son likes to respond to my sermons, so I hope you all are okay with this. Uh, so there's no such thing as a rhetorical question uh, from up here. So out of all the passages of scripture and all which are really good, how do you narrow that down uh, for the first sermon that you preach uh, to a congregation? And there's several reasons that I chose this passage or that I feel that the Lord led me to it for today. Uh, it's one that has come to mean a lot to me over the years. Uh, it's one that I've been familiar with for a long time in the church where I grew up. We used to use it uh, as a confession of faith to say what we believed, and we would use that regularly. 
Um, But I think the main reason uh, for this passage today is that it tells us who Jesus is. It tells us who Jesus is and about his lordship in our lives. And as we start our relationship together here today, uh, wherever it leads and for however long it lasts on this earth, it's my prayer that the lordship of Jesus Christ would be at the center of that relationship. Um, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, I resolve to know nothing between us except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, And so that's my great prayer, is that we would know nothing between us except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my prayer for all of us with each other as well, uh, that Jesus Christ would always be at the center of our relationships with each other. And this passage is a good place uh, to start to that end. So again, why this passage? What's so special about it? I think it's because in these few short verses, it reveals so much of what we need to know about Jesus, what he's like, what he is doing and has done, uh, and, and how we should respond to it. It's the job of all of scripture to point us to Jesus, to tell us about who Jesus is and his lordship in our lives. But I think every so often we come across certain passages like this one that give us the full gospel in a concentrated form. And they tend to, to tell us the whole gospel about Jesus Christ. These are passages that have sort of taken on a life of their own. They're outside, outside of the context of the books that they're in. And Philippians 5, I mean, excuse me, 2, 5 through 11 does that. We think of other passages like John chapter 1, which says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We think of John three sixteen, which says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. These are passages uh, that have taken on a life of their own in the church and in in the lives of Christians. And I think Philippians 2 does that for us as well. Um, It's a concentrated form of the gospel. And so our passage today is this kind of passage, and its focus is on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. It's maybe the oldest statement of faith in the church. Christians would greet each other in the early church by saying this to each other, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And to say it had a lot bound up in it. It meant that for you, if you were someone who would say this, that Jesus was your king, regardless of who the emperor was on the throne or who the king was on the throne, that Jesus was your king or your ruler. He was the one who was in charge. He was the one that you gave your allegiance to and your life belonged to him. And so there's a lot bound up in this statement that Jesus is Lord. And these verses help us to understand its implications for us a little bit better. Why is he our Lord? And what does that mean for us and for our lives? The first thing our passage tells us is that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. And we see that right here. It says that he was in the very nature of of God. Some translations say he was in the form of God, and it says that he had equality with God. The Nicene Creed, which is one of the oldest uh, confessions of faith in the church and one of the most universal, it's used in the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the Orthodox Church. Uh, People have been saying it for a long time to say what they believe, draws on this passage to talk about Jesus and say that he was in the very form of God. And the point being that Jesus and God are one. The Son and the Father are one and the same. And we return to this idea at the end of our passage too, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this statement in itself uh, tells us that Jesus holds an exalted place uh, in the universe, in all of creation. But it also helps us to know that this uh, verse is a reference to Isaiah chapter 45, where God says this. He says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. To me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. And they will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. And Paul's point in using this here, or what God's saying, excuse me, to Israel, is that he alone is God and that he alone of all the beings in the universe will be worshiped. And Paul's point in drawing on this is to say that Jesus of Nazareth, a man that walked this earth, that people still alive at that time would have known and talked with, maybe even seen crucified and risen, is one and the same with the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Even the word Lord here is the word that the Greeks used for God's name, kurios. And so to say that Jesus is Lord is a way of saying that Jesus is Yahweh or Jesus is God. This is a passage that's, that's known for what we might call high Christology, meaning it shows us Jesus and all of his glory and all of his cosmic significance. It sort of pulls back the curtain that separates heaven and earth, and it lets us see what God is really up to in history with Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus is Lord. And by telling us that Jesus the Son and God the Father are one and the same, it does something else for us as well, which is that it reminds us that God loves us, that God loves us and God wants us to know him. And he has given us a way for that to happen. This holy and transcendent God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who created each one of us, has revealed himself to us completely and fully through his Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. He has come to us in his Son. I liked what that song we were singing, the refrain that was saying, uh, the goodness of God follows me. Is that what it said? The goodness of God follows me. I think that really ties in with our passage today, that God pursues us. And we see that, that Jesus came to us in the flesh so that, that God, we might know the living God and be in a relationship with him. God is, uh, Paul is saying here that if you want to know God, look at Jesus. If you want to know God, the God who created you, look at Jesus Christ, because they are one and the same. If you want to know what God is like, what his character is, then look at the life that Jesus led. Look at what he did, look at what his message was. Look at who he spent his time with. Look at Jesus, and then you will know the living God as he truly is. And so as we look at this passage to come to know Jesus better and, and through him to come to know God the Father better, what we find is a picture of Jesus' lordship that is the opposite of what we would expect. It's not the picture of lordship that we would expect from the world and what we see around us. Sandwiched between these two descriptions of Jesus being one with God and being worshiped by all of creation, what we are given is a picture of Christ's humility. Christ's humility. Jesus, who was God, came down to us as a man and lived a human life 
and died on the cross for our sake. And all of this was done for us and for our salvation. And it was done willingly because God loves us. Friends, if you ever wonder if God loves you, if you ever wonder if he cares about the troubles of your life, then the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we see it right here in this passage. Paul's point is that when you look to Jesus to find out what God is really like, at the center of your answer will be the cross. The uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it this way, as you look at the incarnate son of God dying on the cross, the most powerful thought that you should think is that this is the true meaning of who God is. He is the God of self-giving love. If you want to know who God is, look at the cross. Look at the cross, and there you find your answer. So we call Jesus Lord, but in him we find a Lord who chooses humility and death for the sake of his subjects, who doesn't grasp at the power that's available to him, but instead he, he pours himself out, he empties himself as an offering on our behalf. This is a radically different picture of lordship than we're used to, certainly than Paul's audience would have been used to. Philippi was a a city that was deeply loyal to the emperor of Rome, and the Caesars had a tradition of declaring themselves as gods, and people showed their loyalty, loyalty to them by saying, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And so this is perhaps the reason that the church in Philippi received a lot of opposition, because they were only willing to claim Jesus as Lord. And this would not have gone over well with the powers that be, the emperor's loyalists. For the Caesars and for the others who wielded political and military power, a lot of what they were trying to do was to expand and solidify their own influence, to gain more power, and to use it for their own benefit, to build themselves up. This was how they exercised their lordship. And this is something that we see throughout the history of world, that kings and emperors and dictators and tyrants are often using their power to gain more power for themselves and to use it for their own benefit. We see it even today in the news uh, of what's going on not so far from here, the way that people use their power uh, to build themselves up. We witness that happening even in the world today. But in contrast to a human seeking to be, declared, to be declared a God, Jesus, who was equal with God, chose to become human. Rather than conquering others before, uh, for their, his own sake, Jesus chose the cross and to become obedient to, de- to death. Rather than being served, Jesus chose, excuse me, rather than being served, Jesus chose to serve. And rather than being set apart, Jesus chose to come close to us and share life with us. He emptied himself for our sake. This is what the lordship of Jesus Christ looks like. And so as Jesus' followers, the ones who call him Lord, we are called to follow in this way of life, shown to us by Jesus himself. We're called to humble ourselves as Jesus did, so that God can be the one to lift us up. Paul describes what this looks like uh, in the first half of our passage today, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, and I'll read that for us uh, now. I like to read out of the the Bible itself. I hope that's okay. Um, But he says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. 
by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Think about what that would look like if we truly lived that way. Think about what that would look like in your relationships with other people, in your family life, in your life with your friends, in your work life, in the life of this church. If everyone were to approach one another without any sort of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but if we humbly considered others' needs before our own, or think of times that you have done that or people that you see that demonstrate that for you and the difference that makes, the witness that that is to Jesus Christ. We're called to live this way because it's the way that Jesus lived. We're to have the same mindset in us. If Jesus is our Lord, then how can we live any other way than he chose to? This is a point that Paul makes often in his writings, that following Christ means dying to ourselves. It means putting our desires and our ambitions and our reputations to the side in obedience to Christ's call in our lives. Paul places the cross in front of us both because of what was done for us there and to remind us again that our sins are forgiven. But he also puts it in front of us because it's meant to be a pattern for our faith. We are to follow Christ down in humility so that one day we might be raised up with him again to glory. I remember uh, hearing a story several years ago that to me was a great example of what living like this looks like. This was at a time maybe six or seven years ago when the Ebola epidemic in West Africa uh, was running rampage there. Uh, And you'll remember, some of you will remember that this disease was spreading quickly. It was killing many people and, and people were very afraid of it. I remember in the United States that we were hearing stories of people coming and testing positive for it and, and they were immediately quarantined and nobody wanted to go near them because of that. People who who had the disease were often ostracized because of it. But there were also many doctors and nurses who put themselves near to these patients in order to treat them and to care for them, even at great risk to themselves. Many of these were people who could have easily left uh, their stations, could have gone back home far away. And the writer of the article's point was that they were finding an undeniable Christian presence among the the Africans and the Westerners who stayed and were treating the patients uh, of Ebola, caring for the people who were sick. And people were puzzled by this. They didn't understand it. Why would you put yourself in harm's way for the sake of someone else? And for the Christians who were doing this, the answer was because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We do this because it is what Christ did for us. It's a beautiful image of people considering others more important themselves than themselves. Uh, But of course, living this way is much more easily said than done. For as much as we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord in our lives, we have a problem. We have a problem. Uh, We have the same problem that all of the kings and emperors and tyrants and dictators throughout all of history also have and had, which is sin, which is sin. And which is, it demonstrates itself by the fact that deep down in us, a part of us wants to be the Lord ourselves. 
We want to be the Lord ourselves, of our own lives, certainly, and often of other people's lives as well. We see this clearly in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve and the serpent when sin first came into the world. Uh, And you see uh, that what the serpent said to Eve was, you will not certainly die, he said to the woman, if you eat of the fruit of the tree. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. That was the temptation that was placed in front of Adam and Eve, the same temptation that's placed in front of each one of us. The temptation in front of them was that they too could be like God, and they grasped at that opportunity. And this is the root of the sin in each one of our lives, that we want to be like God. We want to be our own Lord, obeying only ourselves and our own whims and our own desires. The Bible describes uh, people as being like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Each of us has turned to his own way. Fortunately, the Lord has laid upon Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. That's how that verse ends. So simply put, we want to do what we want to do. Uh, which is often different from the good that God desires for us. This is why the, the gospel is good news for us, because Jesus came to redeem that sin in our lives, to forgive us of all of that. This is why when Jesus came, he called us to repent of our sins, to turn away from that kind of life and back to himself and back to all of the good that God desires for us. And I believe that our passage today presents uh, to us a way to go about repentance, a remedy for this sin, which is worship. The solution to our problem is worship. This is the primary response to the lordship of Jesus Christ that we are to have. It's through worship and right worship of him that this new way of life that we're called to will come to be in us. Several years ago, I came across a quote about worship uh, from the 19th century American writer Ralph Waldo Emerson that stuck with me, and this is what he says. A person will worship something, have no doubt about that. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character, and therefore it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming." What we are worshiping, we are becoming. I like this quote because it acknowledges the fact that human beings are made to worship. We are made to worship something. We're made to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But often we pick other things to worship. And what Emerson's saying is that who or what we choose to worship is going to impact who we become as people. It affects the way that we live our lives. And this idea is in line with scripture. The Christian belief is that as we worship Jesus Christ, as he's revealed to us in the scriptures, then the Holy Spirit forms us into the likeness of the one that we call Lord, the one who is humble, the one who died on the cross for our sins. Living into Christ's humility isn't just a matter of deciding that we're going to do it. It's not just a matter of saying we're gonna work really hard to be humble, and that's going to be the solution to all of this. It's a matter of worship. That's where it all starts. It's why worship is the central act in the life of the church, why you all come here on Sunday mornings, week after week, uh, wherever you are in the world. I love that people are coming here just on visits because they want to worship God on a Sunday morning, wherever they are. That's really a good thing. 
And this is the central act of what we're supposed to do as Christians so that we might become more like Christ and give glory to God. And as we do, we pray that more people would be drawn to Jesus' lordship as well. I want to close with this idea of worship. Um, Our passage closes by saying that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a picture of worship, the worship that we will all be a part of one day in the heavenly kingdom and that we look forward to. Um, We use music to worship. We use music to worship. Music and poetry, they're the language of the heart. It's why we start this whole service with so much singing. And many scholars uh, point to Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, and say it's a hymn, it's a poem. It's one of the earliest hymns that the church used. Uh, And so when we read these verses, we can think of them as the heart language of the early church. The same way that that maybe a worship song means so much to you and connects you to God, uh, this was used in a way as a song to connect people to God and so that people would come to understand who he truly was. Paul is using the language of the heart uh, to connect people here and to make his point. It was meant to be memorized. It was meant to be repeated. It was meant to become a part of who they were, uh, that they would would internalize these verses. And so my encouragement to you all today as we uh, go out from this place is that you would take this passage, that you would take these verses, and that you would spend some time with them, meditating on them. I don't have a tune that I can give you uh, to sing this song to. Um, I'm, maybe the praise team could come up with something for next week, uh, you know, put this, uh, put this to, to music. Uh, but to spend time meditating on these verses and to let them become a part of you, that you would internalize them so that you could worship Jesus as he truly is, as the Lord of our lives, and so that you could be a part of that uh, kneeling before God and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that you have chosen uh, to allow us to know you through him, and that through him you have made a way for us to be in a restored relationship with you, that our sins are forgiven, that we might be saved. And Lord, as we go out from this place, we pray that we would have uh, a greater sense of, of the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, of why it matters to us, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would be forming us more and more into his likeness so that we might bring you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.